Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Finding Home Podcast, where, as you know, I say home is more than just the sticks and the bricks that you live in. It's an ongoing conversation about the wonderful place that we live, or if you don't live here, maybe you have. Either way, we talk about Utah, and we talk about a good number of things uh, in relation to that. And let me tell you something. There's a funny thing about being in real estate. And one of the things that happens when you're in real estate like I am, especially as a, as a real estate agent and a real estate broker, is that people ask you like the same three questions all the time. And those three questions are as follows. First, people will ask you, how's the market? They'll ask you, how's business? And they'll ask you, hey, when's the best time to buy a house? Or when's the best time to sell a house? And the, the, just the stupid thing about real estate, being in real estate, is that every answer to those questions makes you sound really skeezy. Every answer to those questions makes it sound like you're trying to sell them or get them to buy or do some sort of thing that's going to benefit you over them. And that's the hard part because sometimes those answers are true. And when somebody says, how, I mean, we talked about this. When somebody says, how's business? And you're like, great. The whole intention is for them to do business with you, even if it's not. And those answers can sound skeezy. Now, if business is actually great, that's kind of fantastic for you because you get to be honest about it. But that's not always the case. When people say, how's the market? And you're like, man, it's crazy right now. That just makes you sound like a stupid real estate person. And I don't want to sound like a stupid real estate person, but sometimes the market is crazy. For the last six months, the market has been insane. Just absolutely nuts. When you say that, you just sound like a real estate agent. And one of the hardest ones is people will ask me, and I just had this happen. I've got a client. They're starting to look for a house. And she asked me, hey, what's the story with buying a house in the fall and winter? Is there a better time to do this? Which is just that same question. Hey, when's the best time to buy or sell? I've heard you should sell in the, or buy in the spring, or I've heard you should sell or buy in the summer, or even I've heard you should do it in the winter. And the horrible part is that the answer to that question always just sounds so stupid and skeezy. The answer makes it sound like all I'm after is business for myself as a real estate person. And I... It's ugh, it drives me nuts because <laughs> that's not what I want my answers to sound like. So we are going to talk about that third question though. Like when is the best time to buy or sell a property? And the answer, the stupid answer, the answer that every real estate agent is going to tell you that just sounds like they're trying to get you to buy your house or trying to get you to sell a house is it doesn't matter. Any time is a good time to buy or sell real estate, because people have to buy real estate for all sorts of reasons all throughout the year. And people have to sell real estate all throughout the year for all sorts of reasons. And granted, there are different motivators that lead people to make this decision. But the reality is, year round, people are buying and selling real estate. So when you ask somebody, hey, when's the best time to sell my house? Or when's the best time to buy my house? It's really depending on the experience that you're after. So let's get into this. There are four seasons to the year. We've got spring, summer, fall, and winter. I'm only going to talk about spring and summer as a block and fall and winter as a block because they have the same types of challenges and the potential downsides to fall are the same as the potential downsides for winter. So that's what we're going to talk about. That's how we're going to approach this whole situation. So first, let's talk about spring and summer. The conventional wisdom tells you that spring and summer are the time, the preeminent time to buy or sell a house. And that's just what we hear, right? If you're going to sell your house, make sure you put it up in spring or in the summer. And it really depends on what you're after. But what happens is spring and summer are the time for higher inventory and a higher number of buyers. So you've got more sellers, but you also have more buyers. 
because everybody's heard the same thing. Everybody's done the same thing. And what happens is this high level of competition, especially as we saw this last spring and summer, is pretty great for sellers in a lot of ways and not great for buyers. Anybody who tried to buy a house earlier this year found this insanity in the market where multiple people were making offers on the same home on every single home that came on the market. Now, this seemed good for sellers because they were getting lots of offers on their properties and they were creating competition and raising the price so they could net a little bit more. The problem was, of course, these sellers then had to go become buyers in many cases and they couldn't find what they're looking for. They couldn't find another house to move to, which honestly kept a lot of people from listing their homes this last year, which added to the inventory problem. We're going to come circle all the way back around to that further on. However, that's spring and summer, right? There's more inventory, but there's also more competition for you as a buyer. So as a buyer, there's kind of a downside because you had to make decisions really, really quickly. And sometimes buyers are making decisions out of desperation. And that desperation led a lot of buyers to make offers that they regretted, which isn't good for sellers. Because the downside to spring and summer, especially a spring and summer like we just had earlier this year, is that while there are lots of offers, sometimes you take that really strong, really aggressive offer, and very shortly thereafter, the buyer has remorse and cancels the contract. This happened on a number of my listings earlier this year. And so what we ended up having was this weird thing was happening where everybody knew that if a house went on the market, it was going to be under contract in three or four days. And generally speaking, then you have another 30 to 35 days where it's going to take that house to still be on the market till the contract is all the way through and the financing's done and we're ready to go. Which means your average days on market should have been, in this case, should have been somewhere between 40 and 45 days. That's what it should have been based on how quickly homes were going under contract. But that's not what happened. What happened was that you had these properties going under contract very quickly, but our average days on market was still 60 to 70 days. And if you're wondering why that is, it's not because the financing was taking longer. It's because in the first two weeks, so many buyers backed out of their initial contract. Because so many buyers were making these offers out of desperation. They had already made offers on three and four and five properties and not gotten them. So they just went out, anything that would work, they put a crazy offer on and then woke up two weeks later thinking, I don't want to buy this house. There are too many things wrong with it. I don't know what I was thinking making that offer. And they canceled the offer. And that can happen a lot more frequently when there's a lot of buyer competition. So for a seller, the downside is that they then have lost those initial first 10 days of marketing the home. They don't ever get those back. Because as soon as a house comes out of contract, yeah, you're going to be able to put it back under contract, but it's never going to be at the terms or at the price that your first offer was at. Almost never. Partially because now people think they have a chance to bargain with you. And part of it is because the offers that cancel were not realistic in the first place. So for a seller, there's a whole thing about like the the deal falling apart, but there's that emotional catch where you may have already started counting that money in your head. And then the next offer that comes along or the backup offer, whatever it may be, is less than, and you want that initial offer. You want that extra three, four, five thousand $5,000. The reality is you're probably not going to get it. So as far as spring and summer go, yeah, it's great because you have a lot more options as a buyer, as a seller, you can get more offers. However, the cons are... <laughs> As a buyer, you have a lot more competition. And as a seller, you have a lot higher chance of the buyer backing out just due to buyer's remorse. And that loses you your initial marketing period. And now as we move into fall and winter, things have started to change. Things are starting to feel different. In episode three and back, I think just even the last 
episode three and then like episode 10, I talked about how emotionally the last couple of months have felt a lot like what happened just before the bubble burst. And now as we're moving into fall and winter, it's not feeling that way anymore. And that's part of the fall and winter. They have their upsides and their, and their downsides. Fall and winter, of course, you have less inventory. Less people are putting their homes on the market. By the same token, there are less buyers actively looking. So you have less competition as a buyer. So when we talk about that, and it's the inverse of spring and summer. Low competition is good for buyers, but not as great for sellers. So buyers have some time to really think about it and make offers on properties that they want, not out of desperation. Now, what you've got in that is buyers who are making more solid, realistic, and firm offers. So as a seller, maybe you're not having all the activity. Maybe you don't have 500 people through your your property on the first weekend and get 12 offers on it. But I'm going to tell you from where I'm sitting, one solid offer that's going to close is worth 12 offers that you don't know about. And that's the upside to fall and winter, is that when a buyer makes this offer, generally speaking, they know what they want, and they know what they can do, and they're making an offer that's in line with what they want to accomplish. Especially some of these buyers lost properties all summer long. And what they want is to just make something happen. I've had this happen with, with various clients. I have it happening on a listing of mine where the people came and they had been looking for the last four months. They came to my open house, they looked at the property, and they didn't look very excited to me. Later that day, they made an offer, and that's the offer that my client took. And it has been just a very straightforward and simple offer and contract process because the buyers knew what they wanted. They knew how to craft a solid, strong offer, but they also knew how to put together an offer that they wouldn't regret. They're also making more reasonable demands on the seller, which was nothing in this case. But that's kind of what happens is these buyers, maybe they lost properties all summer. Now they're being very realistic and very straightforward about how they're doing it and how they're putting it together. And that helps. So in terms of is fall, winter better, is spring and summer better, there's, there is no better. They're just different. Now, if you're a buyer, you can always find the home you want any time in the year. And if you're a seller, you can always find the property you want any time of the year. The only real question here in Utah is that old chestnut of nobody wants to move during the winter. And while that's true, nobody likes hauling their furniture through the snow. But like I said initially, people have to buy and sell homes all the time for all sorts of reasons. And this is going to be a little bit shorter episode, but there's just a few things I want to touch on. I was listening to this podcast, and it was a podcast about startups, and they were talking about tech and venture capital and all sorts of stuff. And there's that same thing they talk about, and everybody's discussing is the idea of a bubble. And I know I've talked to you guys about why I don't think we're in a bubble, and I just want to give you one more reason to consider why we're not in a bubble. So in this podcast, Alex Bloomberg, who used to do the Planet Money podcast, and he started Gimlet Media, he's talking about bubbles and he says, but in his time on Planet Money, he says that he learned that a bubble must have, must have two things. The first one is not enough fear. And what does that mean? It means that everyone's so optimistic that things are going to keep going right. It may have seemed like no one was afraid. Everyone was being super aggressive. Buyers were out there. Sellers were demanding certain things, but people were afraid. People were, were holding off on selling their homes 
based on that fear that they wouldn't be able to find the next home, based on that fear that if they sold this home and then bought the next home, that the bubble was going to burst and they'd be left holding the bag on a property that wasn't worth what they paid for it. That, that is what caused part of our inventory issues. Between that fear, that fear of listing your home, and the great job growth we've seen as a state, and the increase in average wages based on these new jobs coming in, there was plenty of fear. That's what caused our inventory issues. So we didn't have that situation of not enough fear. We didn't have that component. And the second component, the second thing you need for a bubble is too much greed. That's what we experienced in 05-06. It wasn't just too much greed on the part of buyers and sellers. It was greed from the lending market, making these crazy loans. It was greed from real estate agents, getting people through properties and not really paying attention to whether or not it was the right move for them. It was greed for loan officers trying to get paid and putting people into these crazy arm loans, these loans that they couldn't really afford. Greed from buyers who just wanted to get a property as fast as possible and greed from sellers who were trying to get as much money as possible. I know it felt like this again earlier this year, but in terms of that, too much greed isn't really what we've been looking at. It's still pretty hard to get a loan. And inventory is just low. So it's not a matter of everybody buying everything that comes up. It's a simple matter. Demand has outpaced supply. I don't think that's going to stay this way. I think we saw enough gains this year. We just just got back on top of pre-recession prices earlier this year. And I think we saw enough gains this year that next year we're going to have a much more stable market. Interest rates are going to go up right now. They're good. They're like stupid good right now. But interest rates are going to continue to go up. Pricing right now is as good as it's going to get for the foreseeable future. And I want you to kind of think about this in this way. Back in like 1990, you could buy a 2,000 square foot Rambler in West Valley for like 80 grand. That same property right now, I mean, yes, we're 27 years later, but that same property right now is worth like $230,000. So people who are saying, oh, I want to wait until prices drop again, they're not getting back this low. Prices didn't go back to $78,000 for that 2,000 square foot Rambler in West Valley in 1995 or in 1997 when we had a small dip, or even in 2007 when everything fell apart. If you're waiting for a correction, again, like I said, if you're waiting for a correction, a big enough correction to take advantage of it, you're going to be waiting too long. And you'll have missed this opportunity because we're not going to fall back to these prices. Because 10 years from now, it's going to be that much harder to own property in Salt Lake Valley. It's going to be that much harder to own property in northern Utah County. It's going to be that much harder to own property in Davis County. And you're going to have to get further and further away from the city center to own property. I'm going to mark that. That's, <laughs> you guys, that's the future. That's the future 10, 15 years down the road is our house pricing is going to look ridiculous. The same kind of ridiculous it looks now compared to 1990. In 1990, if you had told somebody that their little West Valley Rambler was going to be worth over $200,000 at any point in the future, they would have told you you were crazy. You guys, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see stupid California-style pricing coming our way. And then California-style pricing is going to be even more extreme. Right now, we have this great intersection of affordability and house pricing. And that's going away quickly. But right now, there's still affordable places to own. And wages and jobs being strong. Inventory, like I said, it's a problem, but it's solvable. And I think that's coming up in the future. Now, of course, all the way back to the beginning of this show, right? (laughs) 
People ask these questions, and the answers always sound self-serving. An answer to a question that you pose to a real estate person always sounds self-serving. And sometimes they are, and sometimes they're not. And that's one thing I like to think about myself, is that I don't get wrapped up. I put it this way. I've talked myself out of getting paid a number of times. And the reason for that is that I want to make sure that my clients are doing what's best for them. And sometimes that means I get paid, and sometimes that means I don't. We're not in a bubble. Spring, summer, winter, fall, it doesn't matter. All four seasons are a good time to buy or sell a house for different reasons. That's something people always end up hearing from me. They say, well, should I do this? And my answer to most of those questions of should I is to ask a question, and that's what do you want to accomplish? That is all I've got for you guys this week. Quick, short, dirty episode, but... Hopefully you guys found that information helpful. Coming up next week, I am going to be interviewing some great people from an organization that raises money for Huntsman Cancer Institute via an event called Cancer Bites, which is just a killer event. And if if you haven't had a chance to look into that, look at it. Cancer Bites. We, this year they're showing Beetlejuice at Bruvies, and they use that money and all the money goes towards Huntsman Cancer Institute, which I just think is a, a fantastic organization. Uh, Huntsman really helped my mom when she was going through uh, most of her cancer treatment. So as an organization, they have a special place in my heart. So we're going to talk to Cancer Bites next week and kind of get the story on why they exist and what they're doing. And I would love it if some podcast listeners ended up at the event that's coming up. I will be there, so (laughs) you should be there too. If you want to get a hold of me, you know where to find me. Uh, Findinghomepodcast.com has a contact form if you want to sign up for the monthly paper newsletter. You can also sign up for that there at findinghomepodcast.com. If you'd like to email me, the email address for now is findinghomepodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on the podcast or know somebody who would like to be on the podcast who's working on a project that you find inspiring or has a small business, any of those sorts of things, have them get in touch with me at any of those aforementioned places to get in touch with me. In the meantime, if anybody wants to throw an iTunes review on this thing, I would love to get the actual first review on iTunes. Outside of that, guys, I hope you all have a fantastic week, and we will talk to you next time.